Well, thanks everybody for tuning in today. I just wanted to give you a quick update before we start today's episode. We did release an episode on the employee retention credit. That episode with Dan Choden was actually recorded about six months ago, and a lot of things have changed over the last six months, so we wanted to get a new episode out. Today's episode is also about the employee retention credit. Dan's back with us today with two other guests, so let's get right into the show. Due to technical issues, the audio quality in this episode was reduced. We apologize for the inconvenience caused. Hello and welcome to The Unique CPA with your host, Randy Crabtree. The goal of our show is to keep you at the forefront of the changing face of public accounting by having conversations with fascinating leaders and bringing you their stories, insights, and advice. The Unique CPA podcast is brought to you by Trimerit, the specialty tax professionals. Today, our guests are multiple guests today. Uh, Dan Choden, Chris Wittick, and Nick Pantaleo. We're doing a pretty interesting show today. I'm really looking forward to it. We are going to be discussing the employee retention credit or the employee retention tax credit, whatever your or ERC or ERTC, whichever way you say it. I'm an ERC guy. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a lot of things that are going on. You've seen a lot. You've heard a lot. There's a lot, in my opinion. I'm guessing these three will all agree that uh, there's a lot of misinformation and not only misinformation, there's a lot of, uh, probably won't go too harsh on my uh, uh, verbiage right now, but there's a lot of probably incorrect ERCs being filed. And and so we're going to talk about that. Hopefully, we're going to give you some information that's going to help you when clients come to you and, and say they just got contacted on ERC and, and hopefully help with that. So normally, I do an intro. Today, I am going to have these three introduce themselves and just a quick uh, who they are, where they work, what they do, and maybe a little story how you got involved with the ERC too. So Dan, since you're a second time guest, in fact, your episode was just released, I think a week or two ago, even though you and I recorded it about six months ago, this episode, I'm going to push out fast. So hopefully it'll be out in the next week or two. So Dan, do you want to give us a quick introduction to yourself? Sure. Yeah, that episode, I think we were already talking about some of the nonsense and headaches. And I think in the time since we recorded to release, it just has accelerated tenfold. It, it's, it's gotten real interesting out there. So, uh, yes, I'm Dan Choden, a partner here at Trout CPA, headquartered in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I've uh, been doing a lot with the ERC program. It's kind of been taking over my life here for the past couple of years. I'll be happy when we can finally roll past all this relief stuff uh, and put it into the old memory bank, never to be used again, hopefully never used again, hopefully no no recurrence of this sort of uh, pandemic. Yes. But uh, it's been exciting. It's been, it's been fun. It's been great to meet uh, some great people, including yourself, Randy, Chris, and others. Uh, in a professional community as we're fighting through some of these complex topics on it. So that's been really exciting. And it's just really, uh, you know, the culmination of a lot of different tax topics, existing tax code that roll into a new program. And that's just kind of a nerdy, fascinating thing for me. So that's enough introduction. I'll, I'll pass it off. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I appreciate it. And that, that uh, interplay with uh, existing and new tax uh, information, you've been on top of that. And I've appreciated what you've done on that. So, well, Dan, thank you for that. Chris Wittick, we are going to go to you next. Yeah, thanks for having me. I am a partner at Boyum Berenshire, which is a firm in Minneapolis, Minnesota about 130, 140 people. And 
you know, when COVID started, I was sort of a tax technical guy and seemed like a good fit to head up the COVID team. Did that starting, you know, March 2020. And we didn't do any ERC in, in 2020. I really, you know, we looked at it briefly and decided it wasn't worth it for anyone. So then, you know, January 2021 rolls around or December 2020 when they passed the bill. I looked around at our clients and I work with a lot of hair salons. And that seems like a real good fit for ERC. And there's another partner in my office that works with a lot of breweries and restaurants. And that's a real good fit for ERC. And so we started there. And yeah, we've done we've done quite a bit of ERC and certainly expanded beyond those two industries. But that was sort of the first impetus. Right. I'm not sure that we'll ever have regular work again. But the, so, so you got involved pretty, about the same time I did. Uh, um, I, I think I remember the date, January 7th of 21 is I think the date that I got intrigued with the ERC, which is right after the, what was it? It was the Consolidated Appropriation Act that made the major changes, right? Yeah, so so you, 2020, pretty much ignored it because of the PPP. We didn't, we weren't doing it because everybody got PPP. How in the world did you get rid of all your other work, Chris? I didn't, I didn't get to 96% ERC for the last two years. I just did it, I had to do it on top of everything else. Oh, man. Well, I delegated. I delegated and part of it this year was that we knew we were going to have a baby. <laughs> that was planned. <laughs> um, and so I knew I had to get off of stuff. A, because we had all the ERC. I mean, in 2021, I sort of did all my regular work plus the ERC. <laughs> in 2022, it was like, all right, I know there's going to be more ERC to do. I know I'm going to go on leave for a while. So we got to delegate this stuff and, uh, you know, hired a great tax manager, was able to get him to do a lot of stuff for me, which is super. Um, but yeah, I know it was a struggle to get all of the, you know, get everything delegated. Yeah. Hey, uh, credit, credit to you. That's what we're all, we're always supposed to be doing and say, I'm supposed to be doing that. I somehow just doubled up instead. So, oh, well. <laughs> all right. So Dan and, and Chris, I'll come back to you in a second. So Dan, I've got a, a, a new presentation I do. It's about stress, burnout, and mental health in our profession. I think you and I need to have a little discussion if you're working double hours here with your ERC load and everything else. So we might we might have to talk uh, uh, offline uh, and, and make sure everything's okay. You look right. great. So you I'm know, sure. you know, in this profession, Randy, yeah. you're just supposed to, you know, you get it and then you keep it for life. That's the that's the rule, right? <laughs> you know, we just talk about delegation and that. No, it's it's been it's been a, a process, but I'll be happy when I'm not doing so much of this work too. It's, well, oh, we got a lot. we got what a, a year and a half until 2020 runs out, and two and a half years until 2021 uh, runs out. So we we got a little bit of time left. We'll we'll see what happens. Hopefully, the uh, interesting things we're dealing with right now will kind of wane a little bit over over time. All right, we don't want to we don't want to miss uh, um, uh, Nick Pantaleo, but Nick, uh, can you introduce you? I think this is first time guest for you on the podcast, isn't it? This is the first time on the podcast. All right. You've been on uh, webinars that I've uh, I've run in the past or you've helped me with as well, but uh, podcast first time. So Nick, why don't you introduce yourself in, the, in your ERC role and how you got involved? Sure. So uh, Nick Panaleo, I'm the controller at TriMerit. And really that, that job controller just comes from the fact that I put my hands on a lot of different things. So naturally when ERC came up, we were looking at 
building out our product, you know, this line of business, uh, I was kind of put in charge to help him figure out what's the best way to build the model for looking at PPP and ERC together to make sure you're not double dipping and everything like that. So that's kind of where everything started with me. And then, you know, helping you with webinars because, you know, you love to double book yourself and overload yourself everywhere. So you should probably uh, take a look at that mental health uh, presentation. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, that's I, I pretty much got roped into it. Uh, just helping get everything going and make sure we're doing everything properly. Yep. And, and you called yourself controller, but uh, technically January 1st of 23, you will be partner with Trimerit. Yes. That was announced a week or two ago. So congrats on that. So Thank we've you. got a group of partners here. Look at this high powered uh, podcast today. Um, all right. So let's just jump into this. I teased the ERC information and, and uh, you know, that we're seeing some things going on out there. But before we get in even the, like the misinformation or the horror stories or everything else, um, I'm going to start with Nick. But if you guys want to jump in afterwards, that's fine. Because Nick just talked to the IRS uh, last week and he got an update from them on, on processing and so, Nick, you want to give us well, you want to give us a little, what we've seen, and then maybe Dan and Chris have seen something different. But what we've seen from the amount of time it's taken processing, and then give us the update they told you last week. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I don't know about you guys, but it, we're seeing it actually pick up quite substantially on smaller credits, and we're seeing clients under a couple hundred thousand for a quarter where they're getting paid. And we've seen as quick as two months, but usually like that two to four month range now with the smaller ones. But for those longer ones, and I'm sure you guys know what this is about, those ones where they say anything over a hundred thousand and a quarter is subject to extra review. And it goes in this longer time frame. for the longest time. They were trying to tell me it was going to be nine to 12 months on the most recent call. They literally said, there goes, there is no timeline. You know, it's, they're like, we're backed up. We can't tell anyone anything. And, and if anyone calls and asks, we're pretty much going to tell them it's in review. Try back in 30 days. So that's where we're getting right now. We've seen, a couple big ones that have gotten paid like a month 13 and the one desk review that we were talking about offline, but in the transcripts is showing a desk review that incurred at month 14. So I'm guessing maybe there's something there, maybe not, maybe it's going to get longer, but are you guys seeing something similar with a lot of those larger clients? Are you seeing any of them get paid or? Yeah, it's definitely been a mix. I, I agree. There's been some speedy, smaller ones lately. That had been the outlier. I, I think it was earlier this year. I saw one paid in three months, and that was just amazing. Yeah, that was the first one paid in under six months. Just an outlier. But now there's been a few flying when they're smaller. You know, we, there's been some big ones that have still been paid. You know, the size doesn't seem to just mean they're all frozen, but it's the biggest ones certainly that are slower. And and now we're we're starting to see some that are going over a year that we're able to try to have the taxpayer advocate uh, referral in there. Not that it seems to really be doing any good, but that's you know what you're supposed to do over 12 months of inactivity, right? Um, so I, I don't think it's I don't think it's really going to be going anywhere except uh, maybe some of these that are sitting without any uh, communication might finally have some IDRs flying out, right? And that, that these audits will get started. And that I think there's a holding pattern while all of the IRS agents are getting uh, trained for these audits, right? Uh, I'd been told by an agent that a number of these were assigned already and just waiting for people to actually be trained and, and get their, their bucket filled up with these. So I imagine 
there's going to be a lot more activity, you know, over the next three or four months in that regard, as, as we've heard the 300 auditors and SBSE now that are specifically trained on this program. So that'll be interesting to see. How about you, Chris? Are you, uh, are you seeing about the same things or anything different? Yeah, pretty similar. I would say two to like six months on the small ones. And we define small as a hundred grand or less in a quarter. Um, that's not exactly the threshold, but it's like around there, somewhere between 100 and 150, it seems like. Um, and our large ones, it's it's pretty hit or miss. Some of them are getting like partial, like they're getting two quarters, but they're not getting the other quarters. We've had, you know, I think our oldest one is probably 17 months old now, 18 months maybe, because um, we didn't really file any in early 21 we waited until i think may was the first ones we started to file and some of those have not been paid so that'd be about 17 months um you know and again there's like no update i we don't even really there's no point in calling the irs if it's 12 months old or 14 months old like you can't make them go any faster so you're just sort of spinning your wheels um, but we do, we are starting to really try and follow up and call on the ones where it's like, all right, first quarter and third quarter were paid. What happened to second quarter? They're all about the same size, but second quarter seems like it's missing. So certainly a lot of notices about, you know, IRS hasn't processed the original 941. And we're like, I don't know, how is that even possible at this point? So, um, pretty pretty hit or miss and you know lots of exceptions which makes them not really exceptions but um yeah i know in the last couple months we've seen a few processed right at like eight or nine weeks and we've been like wow i hope that keeps up knock on wood right yep so everybody's kind of uh, seeing the same thing out there we know audits are coming uh we haven't seen them it sounds like uh uh nick you think we've got one that's uh in the works, but we haven't received notification yet. Yeah, no, no official IDR yet. The transcript system essentially says examination in process. It first said examination requested. Now it says examination in process. That was, you know, the first week of September. So it's been sitting in that stage for two months now. So I don't know if it's an official audit or if that's just a desk review that they keep saying that they're going to be doing. And that's what it is. But I- I'm waiting on the IDR. I told the client to look out for it. Even if we haven't seen, has, has anybody seen an IDR in general from someone else yet? We did, Nick. How about that? you guys? Dan, you've seen one? Are they are they uh, consistent or is each one uh, uh, individualized? I think I think what, what I've seen and also just heard from other practitioners is that it's just a blanket list of anything that you could possibly ask for that'd be related to this program. Mm-hmm. And uh, from what we're hearing, too, it's it's pretty few and far between. Uh, an agent had told me it was just the pilot program to start here so that the actual bulk of the trained agents in that wave isn't here yet. So anything that's out there now is just this, this small wave before the big wave. So it, it sounds like so far it's just it, it, it's just a, a big blanket and nothing's moving. Yep. I, I haven't gotten an insight from anybody who's, who's seen these uh, so far. Uh, it's it's just a slow slog, which is no surprise to the IRS. Okay, and that that kind of, so that that's I wanted to do a quick update, give some real information uh, before we jump into to something else. But I think that audit is probably a good transition point because there's going to be audits, and in my opinion, 
audits are pretty easy. One, to identify who would audit. Um, but two, once you get into the audit, I think it's pretty easy to determine yes, no, uh, uh, and, and overall. So part of that is because this is fairly at least I think we all agree. I think it's fairly cut and dry how you qualify and how you don't qualify, but there is some gray area. One that I think is used more than any, not I think between any of us, but is this whole supply chain fiasco that's gone on in our country for the last you know year and a half, two years, and using that as a I shouldn't sway the opinions here, but I think you all probably have a good opinion on this. Using that as a scare tactic to say, hey, you got this money sitting here. You had supply chain issues, so you qualify. Let's do the ERC. Uh, Chris, do you? what's your opinion on supply chain, and have you been able to, to qualify anybody under supply chain? Yeah, I, I do think I have a difference here with Dan. He seems pretty against the supply chain argument. I I am against the blanket application of the supply chain argument, and I do think it is a difficult argument to make, but I think it's possible. So when I say I think it's possible, I mean like we've done something like 500, and I think we've used it two times. So it's a small, small portion, and you know maybe I'm about to do a third one here in the next month or so, but I think the blanket application is where you go wrong. And, you know, I get that it's a, it's a layered approach to get down there, but I look at it and and say, if I can basically qualify the supplier itself for ERC based on the government orders in their jurisdiction, where they are, you know, generally speaking, manufacturing something, then my client who's receiving the goods from that manufacturer, I think that's the argument for the supply chain. That's tough to make happen. And it's tough to get down to the supplier level and get them to kind of play ball. Because if your client is, you know, just a small fish in the pond, they're not even going to reply to you much less, you know, play ball and and really figure out why there was a disruption. So I think supply chain argument is tough, but I think it's in theory possible. And in practice, we've used it once or twice. I agree with you on on that. In theory, it's possible. Uh, I would go a step further and you might do this too. You know, if I could have, the supplier itself is affected. Okay, great. If I could prove that, great. I haven't proved that. I don't know, Nick, have we proved that? at all uh, with any of our thousands that we've done? Uh, I think maybe one, maybe one or two. Okay. So, but then the next step, and I think it says it was in the FAQs or one of the notices that, hey, you have to also prove that they couldn't get these supplies anywhere else. And cost, in my opinion, cost isn't an issue. You know, a delay in getting them isn't an issue. And so that's why I think it's been really hard with the supply chain. But I think there's a lot of people out there pushing it. All right, this shouldn't be me talking this whole time. So, Dan, what's Chris said that there's a difference of opinion. Or you look at it, not a difference of opinion, just a little different interpretation. What do you, what do you think on the supply chain? So my level of frustration with all the nonsense out there is just reached fever pitch levels. And I say things that maybe go overboard a little bit. <laughs> and and so that's where I've gotten to on the supply chain is just, I, I, all right, yes, 
I agree with Chris. There is an FAQ that says, here's how you qualify for a supply chain. It works in theory. And it's just, does it work in reality <laughs> with all the nonsense that I've seen? Uh, that's, that's where I, I've overstating my point of just, it's, it's all bogus because all the marketing that we see, that is, you have a supply chain problem, you get ERC for all of both years. Uh, and without going into the nuance of, of what the IRS actually gave us with a rule, right? And that's that's the difficulty. And I've seen so much, had too many conversations where, of course, every client has had a supply chain problem in some way, shape, or form. And so it's the easiest way for anybody you know, that's just chasing the big fee to, to go after business owners and, and try to get them thinking they can have this big credit they, they might not be eligible for. So it's it's gotten ugly out there. It's it's kind of one of the biggest eye rolls of, oh, yes, supply chain. You, you have this needle in a haystack, perhaps, this tiny opening the IRS gave us that really wasn't meant to apply to all of two years. And you got companies trying to drive a freight truck through it, right? And that that's what I, I've just gotten a little overly frustrated with and just say, yeah, Nope, doesn't doesn't work. You know, uh, guilty until proven innocent. Uh, don't make me try to say that they're wrong. Get them to prove it to me. Come on, you know this is this is the opposite of how it should be when, when I have these conversations. Uh, and that's and that's really the frustration. And I think for a lot of practitioners, it may not be this particular issue, but all these ERC problems in general. You know, we're on the defensive trying to explain why all of this marketing isn't fitting the client situation instead of. Uh, you know, these companies bring in a real ERC case to the taxpayer. Yep. It's, it's the reverse. And so we're we're stuck already too busy and, and trying to rework it every time they get another ad. Another $26,000 free per employee, right, is, is another an, another uh, problem, another another hour lost, another phone call I won't get back. But yep. uh, it's something that is possible. I haven't seen it yet. So you guys are on the same page for sure. It's just you're more frustrated than Chris is with it. I can see that for sure. And I think I'm at your level, Dan, when I'm doing a, uh, if I'm doing a live presentation and I don't even want to talk ERC anymore when I'm, I'm educated on, I'm starting to enjoy talking about the Inflation Reduction Act and the investment tax credits in this. But and there inevitably ERC comes up, and then inevitably the question comes up: uh, supply chain. And I immediately, no, <laughs> your client doesn't qualify. <laughs> and it's, so I probably got that frustration level too. And and and, but of the thousands we've done, we've done one. So you can. And Chris has done two or three. So you can. Nick, I didn't want to leave you out. Do you have any supply chain comments you want to add to that? No, I mean it's it is. The most common, I mean, it's one of the most common scenarios people come in, clients who are trying to paint their argument to us, we have to tell them, like, the supply chain issue that was going on worldwide is not what is targeted for ERC. Unfortunately, like most manufacturers, a lot of them were deemed essential. They weren't closed. So the argument falls flat unless, again, it was a very, very niche offering. And most of the time, you would be able to qualify on that. They qualify some other way. So it's like, why even go down that route for the most part? That's just what we see. Yeah, and, and to expand on this a little bit, and you guys can jump in on this, but but Dan had uh, sent me a link uh, to a uh, 
something a CPA firm put out there on on the ERC and supply chain issues, and it started off great, and it, it explained how IRS FAQs and explained the credit and explained. In fact, I wrote it down here. I put the name of the supplier and the location and the specific orders that were imposed on them, and the duration of supply chain disruption. I mean, it was looked really good. And then, and I want your guys' opinion, and Dan, I think I know yours already, but then it went on to say, okay, well, here's all the supply, here's all the mandates that were in foreign countries that affected us. Maybe I've misinterpreted the government mandate, but in my mind, that's a, that's, that's, well, there haven't really been any federal, but state, local, city. I don't think a mandate in Finland is this going to affect me for the credit? Am I looking at this wrong, or do you guys have uh, information on that that I, I, I don't know? No, I agree. The foreign orders, I don't get that argument at all. It really came out of left field yeah. after the article started out, you know, great. Well, you saw it too? I, I saw this. Um, <laughs> and I don't understand it. Sometimes they're either the arguments about the ports, some are in the U.S., and foreign, you know, government orders. I just, um, I don't, I don't understand the foreign government orders at all. And the port argument to me is just so nonspecific. And then you apply the test to it and you're like, I'm not. I'm not sure how the port argument holds up, you know, on its face, you think, oh, well, yeah, the ports were totally hosed, you know, nothing was going in or out, but then you go back and you look at, you know, the FAQ and how you're supposed to apply it. I don't see how the port argument holds up either. So if that's the crux of your supply chain argument is like, you know, orders in China or India or Europe or a port argument, either in the U.S. or a foreign port. I mean, that seems pretty weak to me. Yeah, I mean, we've established how I feel about supply chain arguments. You know, they're all bogus, but okay, okay, maybe not all, but mostly bogus. And then you're going to stack this foreign order and a port thing on top of it. It's like a perfect trifecta of weak arguments. And I, oh boy, it, it, it's a it's a struggle. I mean, the 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 ports in Los Angeles always seems to come up because it created such news of the backlog, but they was, there was never actual government uh, shutdown of the port. It's, you know, the, the uh, labor shortage and you know, people getting sick and stay at home orders and the supply of everything expanding and just the volume. So there's, there's all these issues and delays, but it, the, the port itself wasn't even shut down. Is that even a supplier? Uh, so much frustration there. I, on the foreign order question, it is not the way the notice is written. You know, it says federal, state, and local. Yeah. The argument is that that the local government is this government in China, right? So that local <laughs> encompasses a foreign government. That I, I've heard that from a practitioner at some points. So I think that's where that argument comes from. Uh, but a little, a little interesting approach. Neil said that's not how the IRS views this. You know, that is what they say in, in their notice. The hardest part about this and a lot of these positions is that they're not they're not presented in such a way to say if you are willing to, to take this position and go challenge the IRS in court, perhaps here's something that you could be interested in doing, right? Because that's what it is. You know, we know this is not the IRS's position. 
And so if it was examined and this part, portion reviewed, that's where it will have to go. Uh, you know, you have to argue it out in tax court and see if you, you get the court to agree with you. And I think a lot of business owners that might be looking at a weak position or a position, maybe we call it not generally uh, accepted amongst uh, you know most practitioners. They're not they're not hearing that right. This is this is presented as you know 100 audit defense. You don't have to worry about it. Zero risk, right? I, I've had most people telling me, well, I, I don't have to worry about anything because I'll get covered. And I say, well, go look at that agreement again because I think they'd only cover their fees. If anyone's going to cover their fees and pay back the credit and interest and penalties on your behalf, sure, go, go, ahead, go ahead and sign up. But also, good luck uh, finding that company still around yes. in three to five years. But uh, yeah, the zero risk just just really gets me uh, with some of these out here and how it's presented. It, it's not at all a yes, you can go ahead and, and see if you can get a court to agree with you. Uh, it's presented as fact. And that's, yep. that's hard to be going down those roads, let alone stack up three of those things together, you know, supply chain, port, and a foreign order. It, it, yeah, that was the furthest I'd seen something go, for sure. Yeah. Well, that was crazy. I read it again today. Well, I skimmed it today. And like, because it, it's funny, I heard the same argument by the same firm, and I didn't say name, so no big deal. Um, on a webinar last week or two weeks ago, it was a recorded webinar, but it was out recently. They had done it on the Inflation Reduction Act, and then, then they added this on the end. And my jaw just dropped. I'm like, what? What are you saying? No. Um, all right, let me go. Nick, I'm going to get to you in a second on another question, but let me expand on what Dan said there. I, I've got – we've got – and then we may have said this before when the recording started. We have a year and a half still before 2020 leaves us. We have two and a half years before 21 leaves us. There's lots of time. If you're going to be on that, on that, you know, well, gray area, in my opinion, you're probably past the gray area on a lot of these. Wait, there's no rush. People are being told this money is going away. It's going to expire. You got to do it now. It doesn't. Wait, let's see if these court cases are out there. Let's see if some guidance comes out that, that is going to change someone's opinion. But but on some of these that is not, especially supply chain, especially the ports like Chris said, a foreign, you know, all that. Just wait, be patient, see what happens. I had one, and again, there's me talking too much because we got four of us on here. We got we're already a half hour in, but this is such an interesting topic. I had one. Well, I'll ask you guys your horror stories then, too, in a minute. But there was one. I had a client. You know, We support CPA firms, so they bring clients to us. We had a CPA call me and say, hey, I got this client. They're being offered four and a half million. They're being offered. They're being told they have four and a half million dollars of credit. I honestly don't remember the industry right now, but I think it was like a civil engineering firm. Or, or you know, it, it was a no revenue drop. It was it was government orders, but they were qualifying for six quarters, four and a half million dollars. I got on the call with them. Very sophisticated taxpayer. They knew. Uh, in fact, the, the CPA told me that they were they were probably more educated on PPP quicker than anybody else they knew, even the other CPAs they knew. So very sophisticated taxpayer. We got on a call. I explained my opinion. You don't qualify. They're saying, well, they say we do. I see why you're saying we don't. I'm just going to take the four and a half million dollars. I'm going to go put it in the bank and <laughs> let it sit there for three years and we'll see what happens. And and how can that not be tempting? I mean, honestly, that's four and a half million dollars. How is that not tempting? 
Uh, Nick, I'm going to come back to you. Well, let's continue with this a second. That's even not even really a horror story. I mean, you guys probably have horror stories. Uh, uh, um, let's start with Chris. Who wants to go first? Chris or Dan? Sure, I will. Uh, I'll give it a run. I mean, I've seen, I've seen sort of every each side of the horror story. So, you know, I work with a salon. They end up going with one of these weird ERC credit companies. And, you know, the salon obviously qualifies, obviously. They have significant capacity restrictions for a long period of time. They're in a very blue state. Seems pretty clear. And somehow the credit company ends up coming back with a credit of like a hundred grand. And I'm like, uh, that doesn't seem right. And so we do it and they end up getting significantly more, like a million bucks, because they got a lot of employees, a bunch of locations. And I'm just baffled at how this, you know, credit company missed what seems so obvious to me. I mean, they even qualified on gross receipts for like a good portion of the the time period at which they missed. And they only claim like this little part where they're totally close. And on the other extreme, you've got, you know, a restaurant, which again, like they obviously qualify. They're in a blue state, pretty clear restrictions for maybe 14 months. And one of these credit companies swoops in, applies the OSHA argument to the whole, you know, six quarters and qualifies them basically in in all of second quarter and third quarter 2021 based on just bogus this OSHA argument. And I'm looking there like, these people actually qualified for ERC. You didn't need the bogus argument to get the last, you know, four months or whatever. They they legitimately qualified. And then you applied this blanket BS argument. And we saw their, you know, final report, if you want to call it that. And it doesn't <laughs> even mention the word like restaurant or brewery. I forget if which one it was. And I was like, it's just a copy paste of like three pages of OSHA stuff. And then they just claim it the entire time with no reference to the local orders or whatever. And I'm, so you, you get both ways where, right. you know, they've claimed too little because they have no idea how to even figure out ERC or they've claimed way too much based on just a bogus argument that they are flat out applying to every business that walks through their door. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely not loving the, the tax credit shops. And I think <laughs> to Dan's earlier point, the clients don't understand that either they totally biffed it and they missed the credit or they're taking a wildly aggressive position and they just have no idea that that's what they're doing. Yep. It's one thing if the client understands, hey, you know, I feel like this really impacted me. I want to be more aggressive rather than less. But the credit companies never present it that way. It's just this slam dunk. You qualify, you know, zero risk, audit protection, you know, all the rest. 
this is this reminds me of the uh, the housing uh, crash, you know, where everybody was you know investing in in housing, everybody was getting free mortgages, everybody was selling mortgages. It's the same thing now. It's everybody selling ERC. You know, my you know my dentist is probably going to sell me an ERC next time I go in or something like that, which is which is what's happening. Uh, Nick, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to you because we skipped you last time. So, have any horror stories you've run into? Oh yeah. So we had a, a CPA actually came to us because you know similar to what you're talking about, Chris. Uh, their client went and took an ERC credit with one of these shops and came to us and said like, hey, you know, I really want to have Trimerit like take another look at this, make sure you guys qualify. Their manufacturer, right? They're essential. Didn't have a drop. Remained open. They qualified for nothing. You know, not a single quarter. And so we had to kind of tell them that, like, hey, you know, yeah, you don't qualify for any of this. And you look at the contract they signed into and the company who's filing it was saying something. Essentially, they signed off having the checks sent to that company who would then take their portion out. And re- I'm like, first off, they can't do that. It's like, th- that's not even through. So now the CPA is and they're talking with the client. They're trying to figure out how to unwind this and un- unfile for the credit before it gets processed, right? So it's like, how do you do that? I'm like, well, I'm sure if you file something that tells the IRS you owe them money, they're going to process that before the one that's saying they owe you money, probably just how it's going to happen. But uh, so they were working to kind of unwind that, but it was like 1.1 million of credits claimed, no qualification whatsoever. So didn't you say that the provider said you had to set up a new bank account with us as on the account or something like that? Wasn't it that crazy? There's, we've seen some contracts like that where they made you set up something specific Jeez. to be able to essentially share with them. Uh, we, we've seen some crazy, crazy stuff out there. These people are going to obviously try to get their money and kind of like Dan said, are they, are they going to be around in a few years to be able to go after? No, 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 they won't exactly. gonna take their money and run. So yeah, they're going to be in some foreign country somewhere with no extra extradition. Yeah. That's, that is the craziest one I've seen for obviously the bad side of things. Um, so that's, that's one that the, that the CPA was kind of horrified when he found out that, which we don't even know if it was properly filed because supposedly that company was going to be filing on their behalf, but they had not signed a POA. I'm like, I don't know how they can legally do that for you even. So what happened with it? The CPA was said he was going to work to unwind it, but uh, those are, those are the horror stories. Talk with your clients. You never know what they're taking. Yeah. All right, Dan, not to skip Uh, you. I'm sure you got a few. I mean, kind of you kicked off here with how do you not go after it if you can just stick the money in the bank and wait and see what happens. I mean, it's a real it's a real thing. Uh, You know, business business owners, I think everything's a little blurry after all this PPPs, free money, uh, you know, and this feels like more funding. There's other things. you know, people are just thinking about things differently and, and aren't maybe getting all the information uh, at these decision points either. But there is, you know, the, it's not just the course, pay it back, right? It's paying it back. I tell, you know, can you afford to pay it back at 130, 150%, right? Anytime in the next five years, is that the kind of business decision you want to make now? You know, so I try to, I try to put it in real terms because there is interest and penalty. Uh, you are out the fee from a company you probably or may or may not be able to collect it back from if they actually perform on their audit defense guarantee in, in three to five or who, who knows how long this goes. There's, there's a lot of concerns there. And then for a larger company sitting on a 
a claim that big, Randy, I got to imagine they got a financial statement, right? And that's where this gets really ugly, where I'm talking to other professionals that are having these ugly situations where their clients have gone and done these things. And now they're looking at it from a financial statement and a gap perspective after the fact that they have to make a determination more likely than not, is this going to be sustained on audit? And do we have to book a liability on a gap financial? Do we have to disclose that this is a non-compliant position? The ASCPA has put out uh, you know, a guide to how you have to handle this from a reporting perspective. And that's going to sit there on financial statements for years to come. If that is the case, we've had one in the last 30 days, a prospective client, and it's in a very blue collar not shut down industry claimed all of both years, millions of dollars. And it's just about everything you can think of. That's a problem. You know, there was an S election at the beginning of 22. So all this stuff wasn't booked back into 2020 and 2021. And that would be C Corp tax. They got very much uh, issue with their audit financial statement for whatever firm they end up going with. That's going to have to deal with a massive receivable booking and disclosing this stuff. So just to say that I can stick the money in a bank account and wait and just see what happens, and play the audit lottery. I mean, it's it's tax fraud mm-hmm. already because you know you don't qualify and you've taken it right. That's right. Like I, I don't I don't uh, mess around. I just I say it like it is on that one. But then I also warn people there's there's other issues if you go down the road, you know, and this is something that's going to have to stick in your financials to get any decent accountant. To, to give a few a financial on this, it's, it's going to be an issue that comes up. It's going to be material and you're going to try to turn around and sell the business or do anything else with it uh, down the road. I mean, this is, it's a black eye to get your gap reporting, right? So there's other issues beyond that. I mean, if the interest and penalties conversation doesn't get them alone, there's, there's plenty else to be concerned about uh, beyond that, but there's still going to be plenty of people rolling the dice. Uh, you're, you're not wrong there, Andy. It's, it's hard when people are just seeing the dollar signs. Uh, yep. and, and that's why, that's why these are so successful. That's why, why we see so many of them. They can charge big fees, pop up and do well. And, uh, it, it sounds pretty believable. There's always enough truth and everything that's thrown out there that, uh, how's an average business owner to know the difference. And we're awash with all of this government PPP funds and the rest that we're, we're still, we're still sorting through. So it, it feels it feels like it makes sense. So uh, it's tough. It's it's really tough. And that was the issue that that client had or that CPA had when I had that call was they were doing audited financial statements. And I, what am I supposed to do? I go, that's not my expertise. So sorry. I can just tell you it's not a real credit. That's what I could tell you. Um, we're already 45 minutes in. What do you guys want to do? You want to go down another path or you want to each do a quick wrap up on, Hey, here's your advice or, or, uh, I mean, cause there's so much I want to talk about yet, but I don't know if, uh, uh, we can go another hour and a half. <laughs> well, we talked about ocean. We talked about supply chain. Yeah. I mean, there's the whole, like being able to work remote comparably. Right. And where do you draw that line? Is that written in the FAQ that way? Yeah, there's like it asks four questions about portability of work, right? To be able to qualify in a shutdown, and to be able to operate in a comparable manner remotely, right? And, and where does that stop? And there's there's some line on the guidance. It says something along the lines of, essentially, if you weren't working remote before you get a small time period to develop your policies to ramp up. I'm like, that's so vague. What does that mean? You mean you could qualify yourself for one week, two weeks? Can you just negligently never develop policies and 
continue to qualify? <laughs> like, how does that, obviously you can't, I'm, you know, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but you know, have you guys taken anything with that? Right. Like, has anyone tried to make that argument that, Hey, we didn't have remote before, even though we can. That's something I brought up to clients, mostly could try to talk them down off a ledge, right. Of, mm -hmm. yeah, you, you, you were able to get to this and you were able to do remote work and everyone, it was, everyone's affected. Right. That's the problem is we've all felt the effects of COVID in one way, shape or form. We've all had supply chain problems. But do we fit the parameters of this program and the guidance, actually? So I walk them through that. Like, all right. Well, how long did it take you to get the computers out, to get IT set up and to get it in place? OK, if you're going to have this, are you really going to claim this credit for the one payroll run that fell within that? two week time frame that you were still ramping up. And, and most of them, you know, they were, they, they couldn't operate for a couple of days, right? It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't a, a, a massive length of time over, over a month, right? That's, that's typically the story. So they begin to see once I walk them through like that kind of the guidance there around a short transition period, I think they might've termed it in the guidance that just, just how restrictive it is got to be less than 5%. Uh, of everything I've seen. It's pretty rare. All right. I'll probably ask you all to do a, a quick wrap up on, on the, you know, where we are, what we're seeing and what we need to do. <laughs> well, we, we, if we're going to uh, have something as for an update here on ERC, we have to mention the IRS finally said something here. I don't think we, we actually ended up saying that. We're just so used to, used to it at this point. It feels like old news, but the IRS did come out and say, beware of these third parties promoting these claims, these improper claims. If it's too good to be true, it probably is, right? Have a little common sense. You know, I, I, it's amazing how I, some of these come and, and wrap around and it feels like we're, we're missing the common sense of, yes, uh, you, were, you were open, you, you were up, you had no impact, and yet I'm, I'm still getting this phone call from you, client, that, that you think somehow you get 26,000 per employee because the radio ad said so. So I, I'm thankful. It took a while. It took a lot of uh, arm wringing. I know the AICPA was lobbying real hard to the IRS to, to do more and get ahead of this. So they finally put out that warning, uh, which did spot, spin off a lot of other press. So this is finally getting some more attention that it deserves. There was a Wall Street Journal article, uh, you know, just looking and talking about just this in general, and uh, the IRS highlighted information referrals for professionals to make if they do run into uh, some bad actors, uh, because the IRS is looking at these. They have their audit teams. They have uh, IRS CI. You know, that those those investigations are going on. So I I gotta gotta mention that I gotta throw it out there that that was at least a positive development. Uh, just because it felt like I was just stop talking on one side and then, you know, a poor business owner saying, well, I have another person telling me over here that I qualify and they're experts and they say they have CPAs and attorneys and, you know, who do I believe? And, and, and I'm as beside, a little bit beside myself. I felt like early on uh, at, at times uh, because, okay, I gotta, I gotta give them resources on what's actually going on. No one's talking about this. So finally, a lot of people are talking about this. The IRS is talking about it. And maybe I'd throw it over to Chris. I, I, I got to do a little input to this uh, fact or fiction resource the AICPA put out. And, uh, and that was great. And Chris, I know, took, was, was uh, instrumental in getting that out to and getting good content. So, uh, so they've been trying and now recently more vocally trying to, to push out. Uh, 
with that resource and as well as you know your podcast uh with with the ASCP as well Chris so uh thank you for doing for doing that it's been good to have others others out there and and some good print resources to put in front of clients yeah i i do think the IRS is coming around on this it's been slow um, I was at the National Tax Conference a couple of weeks ago. The IRS was there. It was a big topic, not just getting the stuff processed, but acknowledging the bad actors. And they've made it very clear this is what they're coming after. You know, they've said in these IDRs and when they get to these audits, they're going to be asking, like, how did you find out about ERC? Who did the calculations for you? They're definitely targeting these shops to figure out who was doing the calculations because you can't always tell by looking at the 941X. You know, oftentimes that's us or, you know, that's the CPA who signed in the 941X because the, you know, the ERC shop won't do it, which is always a giant red flag to me. If they're not willing to sign the 941X, uh, I'm not so sure why. You'd hire them to do your study. But I do think IRS is getting there. We heard a, quite a bit about it just a couple weeks ago that the enforcement wheel is coming. They made their announcement and they know that the bad actors are prevalent and they're coming. I don't know how long it's going to take for them to really get there in force. It might take a while because uh, they you know, move at the speed of the IRS. But there is an acting commissioner just appointed and they actually just nominated for the new commissioner. I don't know how long that, you know, confirmation process will be, but I do think there's maybe a little bit of a holding pattern until that new commissioner gets in place. The acting commissioner just sort of, you know, keeps the boat afloat and the new commissioner will be interesting to see. I haven't heard from him yet, but it'll be interesting to see if this, if he continues with the ERC as a priority, I would expect that he will. But, you know, you, you never know until you see if he gets confirmed and, and then see what his, you know, sort of priorities are going to be. I mean, I think it's one of the biggest no-brainers in the world to put all your resources at auditing these because it is so easy to, 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 to figure out who did it right and who did it wrong. So I would think, I would think, but I guess we'll have to wait and see that they will put a lot of resources uh, in on this uh, Nick, any uh, final thoughts on you? Uh, no, I mean, just following up on that point, right? Like, the no, I, I mean, us being in this every day and seeing what some of the numbers some of these shops are posting on their webpage, you know, for how many credits they've claimed, it, it's got to be, I mean, how many billions? Well, well above 10 billion. I mean, it's approaching 100 billion of fraudulent claims. I don't know. There's a lot out there. Well, I thought I heard numbers bigger than that in the past. Dan, didn't you tell me a number that you heard once that they were estimating? Or oh, there was there was a uh, a report that came out about claims that were flagged as suspicious or, or okay. something to that effect, and it was in the trillions. And that that's uh, what I thought. That was an odd. You know, there may have been you know just. Uh, I think there may be a line there between uh, just completely fabricated forms people are trying to file versus, uh, you know, a, a normal yep. business that might just be working with someone a little not to the level. So, so I, I, I don't, didn't really understand that number. I don't, I haven't talked to anyone yet that really had a, a better take on that. I think, 
that's a little crazy when you think about the scope of the PPP program to say that there's trillions of ERC fraud. There's yeah. something that didn't quite add up there for me. No, I couldn't wrap my mind around that number. I'm like, wait, is that even a, a real number? Is that something where I have no idea that makes that made no sense? But I thought that was the number we had heard. All right. Any final, final thoughts, anybody? And you all three can jump in one final, final time if there's anything else. Otherwise, I'm wrapping up. I'll just say when you're talking with your clients, you know, when they're talking providers, if they're telling you you qualify on partial shutdown and they can't give you an executive order number or some state order number or link it back to something like that, and they're trying to say general things such as supply chain or just general arguments, again, you can't relate to a specific mandate at the state level or federal level. It's a red flag. Time to disengage. Big rig flag. And, and one thing I want to point out is, uh, Dan, you put together a, uh, a resource on aggressive practices with the ERC. Did you put together a, 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 a two-page document on that? And where is that available if people wanted to go look at it? Sure. I just uh, had that linked on my uh, Twitter profile there. And that was really just uh, trying to show, um, you know, I just heard, I'd heard from too many people saying, uh I'm hearing from all these shops and I'm not, I'm not hearing what you're saying. I'm not hearing that there's, there's all this, uh, this nonsense going on. I'm just hearing about all the opportunities. So I, I just started putting that together uh, to find those, those people that were saying some things about the program and trying to put good firms, good voices out in one place. So I could just put, put something in front of clients uh, so that they know this isn't just me uh, talking about things. This isn't just my idea. This is something throughout the profession we're having issues with. Um, but early on, it, it felt like it was really just people like us. It was those of us in our respective places uh, that knew what was going on. And the larger profession really, really wasn't aware. And business owners yeah, certainly weren't aware. So uh, now, and that's that's still out there. You can still find that on, on my Twitter page, Dan Shoden there. But uh, honestly, now we've, we've gotten a lot more. There's, there's been good press, this ASCPA resource, uh, the IRS warning, yep. and now even even it's made to its way to the Wall Street Journal, and so I know there's just going to be more press as the you know there's lawsuits out there that have happened. There'll be more to come uh, of of just businesses that are finding themselves in a in a tough situation, especially as the audits really start rolling, and and also now as audit firms, uh, CPA audits have to go on of these financial statements, and suddenly a cash has shown up that they didn't realize and it's material or a receivable books. Okay, we weren't expecting that, and, and hard conversations have to happen. Uh, there'll be more lawsuits. So, I, uh, so yeah, the resources are still out there, but hopefully, it's it's become more mainstream now that we can uh, get it in front of clients and they can understand it a little better. And, hopefully, and don't just see dollar signs; they can see some of that risk as well. All right. Well, well, I appreciate you all being part of this today. Before we wrap up, why don't you uh, uh, start with you, Chris? Just give us, a, if anybody wants to reach out to you or get any more information from you, uh, what's a good place to to, to look at uh, finding that? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, at Ravenous Tiger. That's me. <laughs> um, and, you know, my advice is, just to be careful out there. And to Randy's point, this is open for another 18 months on the 2020 year. So before your client goes and does something they might regret, just try and get in there and, and stop them and have that conversation because you do have time. 
So you got plenty of time to get this sorted out. Don't let people rush into something they're they're gonna regret. Good, the good call, Nick. Uh, get ways to get a hold of you. And any final thoughts there too? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not really active on Twitter, <laughs> but you can always go on our website, find me, send me an email, www.trydashmerit.com. Always happy to have a conversation with this. Give a second opinion. You know, we we have no issues getting on the phone, talking with anyone. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing I can say is get a second opinion if you're not sure. If it seems too good to be true. It probably is. So try to get to someone else and see what they're able to tell you. And Dan? Yeah, you can uh, search Trout CPA. You'll find me there and on Twitter at Dan Choden. And my final thought would just be, let's get this band back together in five or 10 years and see what the tax court case looks like. <laughs> Do any of these issues end up squeaking either of the other ways or uh, you know, what else happens? It'll be fascinating to sit back and look at this and, and just see. I know those in the IRS I've talked to expect to be very busy with this for a very long time. And so it'll be interesting to look back with the benefit of time and see see how it all plays out. Oh, yeah. We're definitely going to have a, a ERC reunion. And, and Dan, you've uh, and Nick, you've been to a, a bar. I'm a partner and in Chicago. Chris, we're going to have to get you to the bar where I'll meet at the bar in Chicago and we'll have a few drinks and uh, and talk ERC war stories. But to your point, Dan, I was already thinking we're going to do this again next year. Four of us are going to get back on. We're going to see what the updates are. We're going to see if things have calmed down. We're going to see if people are getting, seeing the audits, how the audits are happening, and, and what, if AACPA keeps pushing, if IRS keeps listening or starts listening, I guess keeps listening at this point, uh, uh, hopefully we're going to see uh, things settle down because we're all, all four of us are still going to be doing this for a while. And rather than fight bad claims we'd rather help people that uh, that actually deserve and, and earned earned is that the right word i guess earned this credit by meeting one of the two real requirements so thanks everybody this was a great panel today i really appreciate them all being here i really appreciate you all listening uh as always if you like the show please uh give us a five-star rating and if you ever want to reach out to me uh well you'll see that in the show notes thanks everybody Thank you for joining us today on The Unique CPA. You can find all the links and show notes for today's episode, as well as more about TriMerit, at theuniquecpa.com. Remember to subscribe and join us for our next episode where we'll be going beyond compliance into forging new pathways of delivering value to your clients, diversifying your revenue streams, and leading-edge management techniques and styles. <laughs>